This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. So Matthew chapter 11, we're going to pick up in verse 16, and we kind of rushed through the last three verses of the chapter last, or the last three verses that we were in last week, because we wanted to get to a good stopping point. Uh, actually, no, back up to verse 13. He said, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. These are the words of Christ. He said, and if he will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So he was referring to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. And he's talking about Elijah coming back, not as a reincarnation and not coming back in his natural form, because you have to remember, Elijah did not die. Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament did not die. He was taken up bodily into heaven in a fiery chariot. And he will come back, and he's got his day coming. He's not going to escape from the grave. You go over into the Revelation and read about the two witnesses that will appear in Israel at a certain time during the period we know of as the tribulation. It doesn't necessarily call it that uh, per se. I think it does use the word, but not necessarily the title. Um, Elijah has his day coming, but he was referring to that prophecy, Malachi 4 and verse 5. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. But then in verse 16, he changes subjects. He has a little bit more to say about John in the verses to follow, but not quite yet. He says in verse 16, he asks this question, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. And we have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Now, there's about three major lessons that we can pull out of this, this, uh, this one paragraph here. So let's back up and let's start to break this down. He asked this question again, or he asked this question of the people that were round about him. Remember, this is the same people that he had just finished. He had just finished, I won't say defending John, but backing John the Baptist up. It's the same group of people that were listening to him um, validate John's ministry, if you will. So he says unto them, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets. Now let's stop right there. And let's break this down. Because, again, you, you just blow across this tough high speed at the surface level and you just think, okay, well... That's a pretty picture he paints, a you know, marketplace in the ancient world with people at outdoor booths and stalls and maybe some fish hanging from some lines, drying, I don't know, you know, whatever it is that they're selling. Maybe some, like some of those markets you find over in the Far East and you don't know if that's chicken or it's something else. And so it paints a nice picture and children running around in the marketplace playing games while their parents are conducting serious business. But it's worth some actual meditating. Let's chew this up. Let's grind this down to what he's really saying. Because we have to remember, Jesus uttered no idle words. And everything that he said, 
He was to, he, it meant something. He was either teaching a lesson or it was a response to a question or it was something that needed to be said. He didn't waste any words. And so he says, whereunto shall I liken this, this generation? What generation is that? The people that were alive on the earth in Jesus' time, particularly in Israel and in Judah. Okay? Or Judea, I, think the, I think the whole region might have been referred to as Judea. It was a province of the Roman Empire at that time. He says, whereunto shall I liken this generation? What are they like? What should, I, what should I use as an analogy for this generation of people that are alive right now? He was saying, it is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. Well, well, what's a market? What's a market? It's a place of commerce and serious business. It's a place of commerce and serious business. It's a place of the exchange of money and goods and services it's it's the market is any nation's economy is what it is that's where that's how people live that's how people make their living and how they do what they do without having to go out and kill one another just for something uh, just to get something to eat it's a place of business and he likened this generation unto children sitting in the marketplaces calling unto one another not adults not people that were actually engaged in things that needed to be engaged in. Not people that were engaged in the serious business of life, but children playing games in a place of serious business. Now there's two or three different ways I think that you could probably take that if you were inclined to just chew it up and try to apply it different ways. But there's a specific message that Jesus is communicating here. Children don't really contribute much to markets, do they? But their parents do. And adults do. So what was he, was he talking about? The generation of people that he was living in were people that were not engaged in things that really mattered, but were spending their lives, rather, pursuing things of very little import, even none at all, depending on how you look at it. Children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. No, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. If a market here is a microcosm for the world, we need to remember that the world is a very serious place, isn't it? It's a very serious place, and life is very serious. And it's easy to forget that in a first world nation, in a well-developed nation, post-industrial nation. It's very easy to forget that, especially because of the emphasis that, that so many people in society, even influential people in society, even our universities, our places of higher learning, even some churches, because the emphasis that, that a lot of people and places put on life now is all about be happy, have fun, you only live once. I'm glad that stupid YOLO tag was short-lived and went away. That thing was just annoying. That was like the... It was like the 2017 version of, uh, or 2016 version of Baby on Board. You remember that? You saw those everywhere. Every yuppie in the world had that thing in, in, had that thing in, in the window of their car. Well, it's similar to that with, with so many influential people and institutions emphasizing the wrong things and doling out bad advice like, Follow your passion. Follow your dreams. You're okay no matter what you are. You're great. Have self-esteem. Believe in yourself. And so why are you calling that bad advice? Because it's one size fits all. And a lot of people say that to people who are not okay people. They're not okay at all. 
They're dead in their sins and they need a savior. And I'm trying not to preach. We're trying to teach. It's a little bit different dynamic, okay? Not to get too amped up. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot to be said about this. This is a very penetrating insight on the part of our Lord, sharing it with the people round about him and by extension with us. He says, the world, this generation is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. It's like children playing in places where they, they ought to be at, at least not interfering with things that are really important and really what they ought to be doing is growing up and being adults and engaging in serious business. And it is the doom of believers. It really is. It's the doom of believers that we allow ourselves to grow negligent of eternal matters. There's a real message in this one verse alone. We could have preached this probably Thursday night, but wasn't thinking of it. Uh, but... It's the doom of believers to, to fall back in the same kind of careless thinking. It doesn't mean free of care. I mean, not taking care where care needs to be taken. You understand the difference, right? Jesus told us to be careful for nothing, but he was talking about being free of anxiety. But this is a different lesson here. It's the doom of believers that we go back into the careless thinking as opposed to carefree. The careless thinking that we had when we were sinners a lot of times. And just living for the moment, living for the next pleasure, uh, living for the next weekend and the next paycheck that would fuel the next weekend and fuel the next set of distractions to, to help us brace ourselves up for the next week of labor. Because we had no hope beyond the next paycheck, did we? Maybe some of us had some future planning and had a retirement fund we were putting into. Probably not, because most Americans don't. That they scarcely even think of that. And I'm not saying that as an insult to them. I'm saying that as an indictment to their teachers and their parents and those who should have instructed them while raising them to prepare for their futures. But we can't slide back into careless thinking concerning eternal things. We can't. We can't. We've already been enlightened by the Spirit of God. We've already been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've already had our eyes opened and we've tasted a little bit, even if only a little bit, of the kingdom to come. And a whole other world of understanding has been opened unto us. We can't go back. You know, shortly before the Bible study tonight, how am I going to phrase this? I wasn't planning on mentioning this. Shortly before the Bible study tonight, I, uh, I won't say trolled, but I uh, went on Facebook looking up a man, looking up a fellow that had once been a dedicated servant of the Lord. I just wanted to see where he was at, see how he was. It's been a long time since he posted anything. I wasn't necessarily friends with him on Facebook, but, um, but I remember his name, and it's been a lot of years since I've seen him, and I looked him up, and I saw... I mean, there's the phrase, a you know, picture tells a thousand words, and it does, you know, and, and ten pictures tells ten thousand words, and, and, it, and you, you don't have to be harsh and judgmental to, to connect dots sometimes and, and really see the condition of a person's life that they are not, that they are not within a million miles of where they once were in God. And there were some things that had happened in their life. It wasn't just a, a case of they just woke up one day and decided, ah, oh, you know what, I'm going to go back to the sinner life. It really wasn't like that. There were some tragedies. I mean, there were some actual tragedies. And some things that befell them. But then they stood still in the midst of that. And then they backslid. And if you ever want to know how to backslide in the faith, okay, just stop growing. 
Start standing still in the faith, not moving forward. And you will begin to backslide by default because there really is no standing still in Christ. There's no standing still. I mean, it's, I'm not talking about be still and know that I'm God. That's a whole different context of the word, okay? So I'm not, I'm not talking about that. There's no standing still in Christ. You're either growing and you're moving forward or you have stagnated. And when you stagnate in Christ, you start losing ground. You start moving backward. And you start moving backward. It may be slowly at first, but you pick up speed very quickly. Because we go back to our analogy and our metaphor of a, of the spiritual life and the heart of a the heart of a believer being very much like a garden that has been recovered out of the wilderness, right? The garden where you have you've God has gone in there and he's killed all the weeds and washed everything clean and then planted the seed of every of every godly virtue in that garden and then then remains to us and with his help to tend that garden, right? Keep the weeds out. Well, what happens when you stop tending any kind of garden? You stop tending a garden, it's no time at all before nature just reclaims that. And then it's three times worse than it was to begin with, or twice as worse than it was to begin with, because the ground has been conditioned for growth. And so weeds that'll grow in a parking lot, they'll just they'll come in like a storm and take over that garden because there's good ground there for it to invade and take over. And so it's the same, it's the same way in our hearts. It's the same way in our life. It's the same way like we're talking about here. We cannot afford to go back. We cannot afford to backslide. And there's no cause to. There's no cause to. The devil will try to hand us a dozen different reasons to just get lax in our spiritual life, take it easy, kick back, uh, what's the expression? Um, ship your oars and drift all the way to Byzantium. Now, I don't know what the origin of that phrase is, but it basically means to stop rowing the boat and just let your oars slip out of their rings into the water and just let the current take you where, wheresoever it will. That really is not the way to live our life. This ain't the late 60s. This ain't the hippie movement. This is, we, we can't afford to be like that. We can't afford to live with that kind of a mentality. God is a God of order and of direction. And he talks about how the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And he says that whosoever is led by the Spirit of God, they shall be called the sons of God. So he speaks of leadership and he speaks of followership, following the moving of the Holy Ghost. And when you just let your oars slip out of the rings of your boat and think, oh, well, you know, I've been forgiven of my sins. I'm just going to... I'm just going to drift where this ocean takes me. I'll tell you where that ocean will take you. And it's nowhere good. It's nowhere good. It might take you to a hundred different places, but the ultimate destination will always be the same, and it always ends in perdition and fire. We don't want to go that way. He says, Whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. All right, well, what were they calling? What were they calling unto their fellows? They were saying, we have piped unto you. So imagine these kids, you know, these six-year-olds and nine-year-olds, you know, and kids just running around having a great time. Maybe they got a pinwheel or... But they're running around in this marketplace and they're calling unto one another, okay? You know, they're not listening to mom and dad that are saying, shut up, son, stay by me, don't get lost. You know, hold on to mom's skirts so you don't run off into the market and get snatched up by some weirdo. But they're calling unto one another in this game that they're playing when they should be about serious business. They're, they're calling unto one another saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced and we have mourned unto you and you have not lamented well there's a whole message in there too there's a whole message in there too there's too many people that are not serious there are too many people living in life living life and living in society that are not serious and pouring their time and affections into the wrong thing and then it always reminds me of that song that we used to sing in our altar calls a long long time ago only one life 
Some of you heard that song, you've remembered that song, goes only, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And that relates over to uh, Scripture over in Corinthians about uh, building with wood, hay, and stubble versus building with gold, silver, precious stones, things that will endure in the wood and hay stubble. That will be tried by fire as far as works are concerned. is what he was talking about. It was an allegory of works. You know, if you build with wood, hay, and stubble, things that don't profit to eternal life, all that stuff's going to perish in the fire. It'll all perish in the fire, but the other stuff, that will endure, and you receive a reward for that. But... So these children running around through life or running around in this microcosm of the world, the marketplace, if you will, calling unto one another. It's like children playing and dramatizing in a place where they should be engaged in serious things. And when you as believers don't participate in that kind of play, then they question you about it, don't they? So we've called unto you and have not answered. Oh, we had this great big shindig down at the bar downtown and, and you didn't come. You know, there was a concert down at the plaza. There's free music down at the plaza and you didn't come and listen to it. And you're like, yeah, I know I didn't listen to it because I am of a different spirit now by the grace of God. And so that old Steely Dan garbage, that doesn't speak to me anymore, anything that I want to hear. All that old time rock and roll, that doesn't, that doesn't move me in a way that God would have me to be moved. And so I'm not going to place myself in that kind of a scenario anymore. And that, that uh, you know, reminds us of a gentleman we, we referred to in passing while preaching, uh, a dear friend from many years ago. He was very deeply into the mosh pit scene. I mean, really dark musical stuff. If you'll remember, I don't remember which service it was. Maybe you're here, maybe you weren't. But just some really dark stuff in the musical realm. And, and then he, he got saved and he, he went to one concert afterwards. He went back to that. He, he got, got back into the clothes and all of that. This was a born-again Christian. But he was brand new to the faith, so he was still learning, you know. I don't even think he had the Holy Ghost yet. But he was a brand new born-again Christian, got back into that old clothing and, and, and went to a concert. And, and, and it was going on in there. I don't know what kind of music it was. Whatever kind of music they play in, you know, in mosh pits. I don't know if it was death metal or grindcore or some, just some absolutely ungodly noise that demons would run from if they weren't the ones actually making it, you know. You never know. But... He went to this concert and the people that were there in that concert were looking at him because they could tell by the spirit that they were of that he was no longer of that spirit. And he was no longer one of them. And so it didn't matter that he was looking like them. He shouldn't have. I mean, and in due time, God clean, did you know God cleans out your wardrobe too? He does. He will begin to change everything about you. It really does matter. It's just, it's not as important as what Jesus talked about, the weightier matters, but they're, they may be lighter matters, but they're still important matters. So just, you got to get it all in the right order. But, but he wasn't at that place yet, and God, is, God had mercy and was raising him up as a newborn in the faith. But it took that experience, him going to that concert and being back in that environment, and it really opened his eyes that, I am not of this world anymore. This is not of me anymore. They're piping and I don't want to dance to their tune. They're calling and I don't want to answer to their song anymore. This is not my song. This is not the song of my heart anymore. I want a new song. I got a new song. I got a book of new songs. I'll tell you something. We got some good old stuff in here. And it might sound old-fashioned, but I don't care. Some of this stuff is timeless. It is really timeless. And I think of that one, I think of that one song... There's a new name written down in glory. Didn't we just sing that? 
his recent, whichever it was, but uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful song. It's a reminder. See, there's reasons why Christians listen to the kind of music that Christians ought to listen to and they avoid the stuff that we ought not. Even some stuff that has, even some stuff that has um, religious lyrics but the same old garbage music, we try to stay away from that stuff too because music itself even communicates a message. And so we got to be careful even what we allow, what we allow ourselves to listen to in that respect because you're not careful you find yourselves dancing to the same old tune dancing in your mind or dancing in your heart or possibly even dancing in the flesh and we don't we're not of that anymore we're not of that anymore whatever it was and I don't say this lightly because I'll, I'll tell you right now and then this is this wasn't necessarily the core of the message but or of, t- of tonight's teaching but it, this applies very much to what Jesus was talking about I grew up in music. It was a part of my life since my earliest childhood. I, music is some of my earliest memories that I have. Listen, and so the, some of this was old stuff from the 70s, you know, Blinded by the Light. I don't know if any of you remember that old rock and roll song. I don't even remember who sang that, but that was one of the earliest songs in life I remember. And I remember it so much because it scared me. There was something about, there was something about the chord progression in it and the way that the, the song went that it actually creeped me out. I was three or four years old, and that song really creeped me out. I couldn't stand to listen to it. I hated it. It scared me. Three years old, you know, four years old. What, what, whatever. What does that even mean? Well, it means that even small children are capable of understanding messages communicated by music. They may not understand words, but they understand music. You've got people that out there that, that swear up and down that plants can, you know, plants benefit from music. I don't know if that's true or not. That sounds, that sounds like it's, it's reaching, but children can certainly they can certainly, well, and, and I grew up in music, listening to all kinds of stuff, and then you get to a little bit older age, and you, can, you get conditioned to certain things. It doesn't affect you the certain way, uh, it doesn't affect you the same way, but doesn't mean that it's any better. It just means that you've become conditioned to it. You know, well, there's people that get conditioned to bad things all the time, right? Growing up, then it evolved into heavier stuff, heavy metal and things that my brother used to listen to. So I grew up listening to Boston and Kiss and, and Black Sabbath, Deep Purple and... Uh, uh, what was Richie, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow? I haven't thought of them in years. That just popped in back into my memory out of nowhere. So all this, but then mixed in with a whole bunch of other stuff, classical music and jazz and new age. You know, I mean, I grew up in that. And then fifth grade, no, sixth grade, started playing an instrument in band. So then started making music and then really becoming dedicated to the cause. Then and that carried all the way through. Um, that carried all the way through my salvation experience and, and, and continues to this day to a greater or lesser extent. But... I changed music when I changed spirits. And I changed spirits when I got saved. You change fathers, you change families, you change all of that stuff. And you think about it, there's so much of the old life that we turn our backs on and leave behind because it was destructive and displeasing to God. It wasn't just displeasing to God, it was actually destructive to our lives as well as to societies around us. You remember the early days of rock and roll? Let me just talk about this for a moment. Suffer me a little bit before we move on to to verse 18 um, or to to the next couple of verses. But you remember the early days of rock and roll? It was pretty silly stuff, wasn't it? It was pretty, by by modern standards, very innocent. They were talking about goofy things and driving dad's hot rod uh, up and down the main strip and little old lady from Pasadena and, uh, you know, well, that was more southern rock surfer or surf uh, the beach boys and all that. But it was all within the same, more or less within the same genre. You remember a lot of that old stuff was pretty harmless. But even when it came on the scenes, churches from one end of the country to the other decried it as being the music of the devil. Well, there was a reason. There was a reason. 
Part of it was the music itself. Part of it was lyrical content. Uh, and I'm not saying that you know absolutely every piece of music has to be absolutely sacred, okay? Any more than every painting has to be something that pertains to God. But you gotta watch yourself because the children are still they're still calling to one another in the marketplace, and they're calling to you in the marketplace, and they're trying to bring you. They're trying to either bring you under condemnation or they're trying, to bring you, uh, they're trying to bring you into shame because you don't dance to their music anymore. You don't dance to their tune anymore. And, and I, mean that, I mean that in the bigger picture, not just the music itself, the literal music, although that is part of it. But I'm talking about as far as priorities of life. You're not chasing the same rainbows that they're chasing. Those rainbows are still there. And they're still bright, and they're still shining, and they're still colorful, and they still promise a pot of gold, and they never deliver, okay? You know what I'm talking about. There's never a pot of gold at that rainbow. I lived in a land of rainbows for 10 years. Washington State, there's rainbows all the time, double rainbows. I think even triple rainbows a couple times. That's trippy, and it's really cool. But there's never any gold at the end of that. Well, the world still has its rainbows. It still has its rainbows that it still tries to show you, and the children still call to you from the marketplace saying, we have piped unto you, and you have not danced. Oh, and then we have mourned unto you. Or he said, uh, what does it say here? He said, we have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. Okay? We've, we've, we've cried out to you about the death of forests, and you haven't become a social activist for the, for the environment. You haven't mourned for the penguins that are dying somewhere in the world, I'm sure. You see what we're talking about? I'm not saying that the environment's unimportant. I'm saying that one day God's going to burn it all to the ground and make a new heaven and a new earth anyway. That doesn't mean that we're reckless and we just destroy everything wantonly. This is still our Father's world and there's still good things in this world that are worth fighting for and preserving. But that's not the Christian's life mission. Because if every forest in the world burned to the ground, souls are still more important. Because a new forest can grow up. A soul is lost. It's lost forever. And there's no recovering it. A person passes out of this life absent of Christ, without Christ. They're lost forever. There's no second chances. And there's no purgatory. It doesn't matter what Martin Luther wrote about it. He wrote extensively about it. There is no purgatory. There is no, there is no uh, um, only one life. And soon it'll be passed. And so what does this tell the Christian? We're adults. And we've got adult responsibilities. And we can't forget them. Even in, even in, as Jesus tells us, to be careful for nothing, okay? In other words, don't be anxious about things. Don't stress out. Christians are some of the most strung out, stressed out people in American society. And we should not be. We should be the most mellow, chill. I don't mean irresponsible. I don't mean happy-go-lucky. I don't, I don't mean that. But we should be the most serene that's the word i'm looking for because laid back has a kind of a negative uh, a negative angle to it that implies irresponsible attitudes and irresponsible behavior it doesn't have to but it implies it but we should be the most serene and balanced and peaceful souls on the face of the earth we really should and when we're really in a place where we're trusting god in all things and we can be I, I say that carefully because there's some pretty bad things that can come that can come a christian's way uh, just ask any Christian over in the Middle East that was affected by ISIS. You know those little symbols that they used to paint on their walls over there? 
ISIS is almost gone, by the way. They've lost almost all of their territory. Praise to God for that. But when they held a massive part of the land over there, they would go to the, to the houses and the businesses of Christians and they would paint an Arabic letter N. And so you've seen that symbol all over the internet, all over social media. People use it as a profile picture. You'd see that. It was an Arabic letter N. It stood for Nazarene. And it was, a, it, was, it was like putting a gold star. It was like the Nazis that put those stars of David on the clothes of Jews. It identified them for later reference. And then when it got around to it, because there's quite a few Christians over there, many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands over in, in that whole region, uh, might even say that it goes into the millions. But they'd paint, that number, they'd paint that letter on their house or on their business and come back around and say, all right, you got a choice. Convert, leave, or die. And over 100,000 Christians packed their bags and fled. They said, no, we're not, we don't care about your, your death threat. We'll leave. We're not converting. We'll leave. And that ties into what Jesus was talking about in, just a few weeks ago, about if they persecute you in one city, go to another. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with fleeing persecution. If you can, do it. If you can't, God will give you the grace to face whatever's coming. Pray. Watch and pray. So he says, We've piped unto you and you have not danced. We've mourned unto you and you have not lamented. And then he goes on and says, For John, see he said a little bit more talking about John. He says, For John, referring to John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Let's stop right there. Well, what's this a lesson in? Well, verses 18 and 19 show us that with some people, you just can't win. You can't win. He said, John the Baptist came to you. And if you remember a little bit about John the Baptist, okay? He was born before Jesus. And he began his ministry before Jesus as the forerunner of Jesus. We talked about that at length, so we're not going to rehash all that again. He went before Jesus. He went preaching the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are two different gospels. The one preceded the former, or excuse me, the former preceded the latter, and the latter eclipsed the former once it came. So the gospel of the kingdom was basically this. People get ready because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he was saying was, the one who's coming after me, the one whose shoes I'm not, I'm not even worthy to carry, he's coming. He's hard on my heels. And I baptize, you, I baptize you with water, but the one that's coming after me is going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Those two are almost synonymous. You know, He's also likened unto a, a, a wind, a, ru a rushing and a mighty wind. There's a song in there somewhere, probably a few of them. But So John came in rough clothing. Living rough. It was basically like a, like, a, like a mountain man out there in the wilderness. He didn't, ha he didn't live in society. And, he, and he, wasn't, he didn't wear soft clothing professionally made. And, and he didn't have a, he didn't have a, a high-paying job or a, a fancy title, even a title in a church. A senior pastor or bishop so-and-so or prophet or deacon this or that or the other. And they'll have their places. I'm not disparaging them. I'm saying that John wasn't packing any of that stuff in, in, in his resume, so to speak. He wore rough clothing. He ate locusts. He ate wild honey. And he lived out in the boonies. And he had, and, and, but he was a prophet. And Jesus said much more than a prophet. He said, John came neither eating nor drinking. John didn't come around going to your coffee shops and your Panera bread that they're going to build here in town. John didn't come eating at your church's chicken that they'll put up one day over there. John didn't come doing any of that stuff. And then you said he had a devil. 
So he came in all kinds of temperance and self-denial, and you accused him of having a devil. That's what Jesus was telling them. And then he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber. It's like, you can't win. So one man comes in self-denial, and you accuse him of being possessed, and then the Son of God, the Son of Man, shows up on the scene, and eating and drinking with you in your houses and in your markets, and you accuse him of being a glutton and a drunk. So some people you can't win. Well, what's the lesson there? There's two lessons. One is that we already covered it. Sometimes you just can't win with people, and that's okay. You just live your life anyway. That's the other lesson. You just live your life in patience and in humility, and you live it in dedication, and you live it in sobriety of life. Now, I'm not. That's not talking about not drinking, although not drinking is certainly part of that. Okay, because that junk has no no. No place in the life of a Christian. That keeps coming up for some reason. I don't know why. Well, it could prove to me that it's a sin. Well, go read Proverbs. Go read Proverbs and about the foolishness and all of the wickedness and evil that is wrought in the state of that stuff. And, and it'll really open your eyes and it gives you a, a big picture of it as well as other things. But live your life in seriousness of life. Doesn't mean you can't ever have fun. Doesn't mean, and you know us. You know us better than that. If you've ever been to one of our monthly fellowships, then you know we enjoy laughing very much. And we, if you've ever hung around after any church service and talked with us, you know that we enjoy having fun and we enjoy laughing and all of that. And we're going to have a ton of fun as well as, uh, as instruction and reproof. Well, maybe hopefully not reproof. Hopefully we won't need that, but might come with it. But um, there's a conference coming. We've been talking about it. And I'm going to keep sowing this seed here to let it, and I'm going to keep watering it, okay? Let it grow in your mind, all right? Because this October 1st, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, there's a conference. We're having a regional conference down in our church in Aurora, Colorado. Now, if work doesn't permit, I understand. Or if you've got obligations and you just can't break away, I totally get it. But Aurora's only an hour and a half away. And so if one wanted to, they could make every single evening service. There's going, to be three, there's going to be three evening events. There's going to be the Monday night fellowship. It's when we all gather in and we all eat a ton of food and meet everybody that's going to be there. And it's just going to be an absolute blast. And they always are, okay? And then Tuesday morning, there's going to be a service. And then Tuesday night, there's going to be a service. And then Wednesday morning, there'll be a service. And then Wednesday night, there will be a service. So even if you couldn't make the daytime services because of day job or obligations or what, or what have you, one could, I know it's a lot of driving, but one could make the evening services just putting that there and let that sit right there. Radiate and maybe warm up that seed that's been sowed in your heart and mind. Let it turn into something because this is July, August, September, October. It's coming. It's a little ways away yet. There's time to plan. There's time to even save. Okay, right, anyway, let's move on. She said, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But then he says this, But wisdom is justified of her children. And then we're going to end with this one right here, but I'm going to teach it really quick, and that's where we'll stop for the night. But wisdom is justified of her children. And what does that mean? Well, if you liken wisdom unto a woman who bears children, well, what kind of children would wisdom, if wisdom were a person, what kind of children would wisdom bear? Wise, responsible, that ties back into what we're just saying. You know, with detractors and haters, you can't win. That's okay. That's all right. 
You just live there. You live your life in front of them. And, and you, be, you, be, you be the grown-up in the marketplace. You be the adult in the marketplace. And not pay attention to their mocking, insulting cries and silly games. And you know how children can be. They can be wonderfully delightful creatures. I, we're not against children. I absolutely love kids. I really do. Christian, let's be the adults in the marketplace. And let them be the children. Because when they fall down and scrape their knee, they don't cry to each other. They cry to an adult. It happens in the lives of sinners. Tragedy, illness, affliction, just even something that isn't necessarily huge, but whatever. They fall down, they scrape their knee, they break an arm. How many times have you as a believer, and it may not have been many, but it might have been many, okay? With, with me, it's, it's been a fair, a fair amount of times. How many times has a sinner, has, as, as an unrighteous person, something has befallen them, and they came to you to pray for them? They came to the grown-up. Let's be the adults. Let's be the adults in the room. Let's be the adults in the marketplace seeking and attending to eternal matters. And, and you're doing that right now. Being in the house of God is just one example of that. You're doing that right now. You could have done anything else tonight. You could have said, yeah, you know, I'm tired. I've got other things to do. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fix something to the house. You could have done anything else tonight. You could have done laundry. You could have cut your grass. You could have, could have sat in front of your Xbox and ate Cheetos. But you chose to be in the house of God because there was part of you that says, you know what, I'm going to live seriously minded. I'm going to be a sober-minded man. I'm going to attend to eternal matters. Well, tell you what, let's make a life out of that, shall we? And you'll watch it. You'll watch that really work well for you. And then when, when the faithless and the godless fall down and skin their knees, they'll have someone they can come to. And then maybe they'll decide it's time to grow up, come to Jesus, pick up my responsibility, be a man, be a woman, and, and, and let God make my life into something good that glorifies Him. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.